Hi everyone and hello again. Um, if you were here last week, we had um, a good little chat around our tables um, last week. So hopefully we'll have some good discussion um, this evening as well. We're going to be looking in tonight's table talk about men and women in leadership. Um, so um, as you're aware, this is something that is um, important to us as a church. Um, and obviously we're aware that some people come from different positions on this subject, so we thought it would be good to talk about that together. So I'm going to start um, for 10 minutes, and then we'll have a little bit of a talk around our tables, and then Judith's going to speak um, for um, 10 minutes after that. 10 minutes is kind of like a ballpark number, right? <sighs> I'll do my best. Um, so if you turn to Acts chapter 2, turn quickly. Acts chapter 2. Um, and I'm going to read um, from verse 17. And this is where Peter at Pentecost, everyone's amazed by what God is doing and pouring out his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Um, and Peter um, is trying to convince them that actually these people aren't drunk, um, but this is actually the fulfillment of what God has always promised that he wants to do with his people um, to pour out his Spirit. And so he quotes the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Uh, and so he goes on. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. We need to realize how significant that was. Um, for Joel to be prophesying that in his context in the Old Testament, for the Holy Spirit then to come and be poured out and to make no distinction between men and women was genuinely radical in terms of the culture into which that happened. There were women leaders in the Old Testament. We do have examples, but anyone who's ever been determined to name their children after Bible names will know that there's far more choice when it comes to the male names than it, there is when it comes to the female names. So it's true that they're quite few and far between. So there are a few odd examples in the Old Testament, but not that many. Um, and Jesus' inclusion of women when he went about his ministry was truly radical. Every kind of commentator will comment on how inclusive Jesus was of women. Now again, that might get missed to us in our culture today because we might say, well, you know, how come he chose all men for his disciples or, you know, how come there weren't more examples in the early church? And we see a lot of men's names still. But what we have to understand is that the amount of inclusion there was of women was really, really radical for that time. The fact that Jesus talked highly of women, that he valued them, that he would even talk to them, that they would be amongst his followers, amongst his supporters, those who sustained him financially. The fact that Paul would then go on um, to talk about women highly, to talk about women teachers, um, to talk about, to include a woman in the list of those that he said were outstanding among the apostles. Um, it's radical in terms of the extent to which the New Testament includes women. In fact, if you were here last week and you heard us talk about trajectory 
about the movement of travel between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we said in terms of sexual ethic, if you remember, we were saying actually the trajectory is um, towards a more strict ethic that Jesus calls us to a higher standard. It's certainly true to say that the trajectory in terms of the inclusion and involvement of women is definitely towards more inclusion, more empowerment, and more involvement of women as you move from old into the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12 and verses 6 to 8, we read a list of gifts, of, of manifestations of God's grace, of grace gifts of his spirit. Uh, and included amongst that list is a gift of leadership. Leadership is a gift of the spirit. Leadership is something that the Holy Spirit enables us um, to do. Now, Paul, when he's talking in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, he says that in Jesus there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this really is the gospel, that, that God has, has, is reconciling mankind to himself. And in doing so, he's reconciling mankind to one another. And so the, the removal of barriers, of divisions amongst us, is very much part of the gospel. Now, Paul devotes so much of his energy towards particularly addressing the barrier between the Jew and the Gentile or the Jew and the Greek, as it appears um, in this particular list. And so if you remember, if you've read much of Paul's writing, he really goes after that particular division that's going on in the church. And he doesn't deny that God came first to the Jewish people. The Bible doesn't hide that Jesus says, I must go first to the Jews. And yet Paul does a lot of work in helping us to understand that the, the trajectory, that where that's going is so that everybody can be included. And so Paul has this kind of tension going on where he's asked, well, is it insignificant that God went first to the Jew? And he says, no, it's not insignificant, but, the, but nevertheless, we're supposed to have Jew and Gentile together as one people in the church. And that's what Paul devotes most of his time to. And the other two kind of pairings he talks about, but he doesn't do as much work with, the slave and the free. So there's, there's hints, there's, we can see the direction of travel. We can see, for example, when he writes to Philemon that he wants um, Onesimus to be accepted. He's a, he was a runaway slave. Um, we can see that he talks about if you have the opportunity uh, to be free, then you should seize that. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't kind of like campaign. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with it all here in the, in the pages of Scripture for us, even though we understand now that actually that's what God would want for us is to see a complete end to all forms of slavery. And, and in the same way, he talks about this relationship between men and women, and, and he starts to do some work with it, but it's not a complete picture. But he says quite clearly here, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male nor female. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, on both men and women. And we feel that this is something that's really, really important, actually, that it's part of our gospel that everybody gets to be powerful, that everybody gets to be anointed, that everybody gets to be used by God. But it is true to say that there are some 
particular writings in the New Testament that have left us somewhat troubled as we try to grapple with what would otherwise have seemed like quite a clear trajectory, but then we do read certain passages that kind of make us think, well, is that right after all? Because Paul writes to the Corinthians, um, and they were a particularly disorderly bunch, and he writes to them about order in their worship. And one of the things he says to them is that, well, the women just need to be quiet. And suddenly we're kind of like left reeling, going, well, if this is God pouring out his spirit on everyone and everyone gets to be powerful, how come Paul's suddenly telling the women to be quiet? And then um, both Paul and Peter, um, in some of their letters, Paul in um, Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3 and Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, they, they write to um, men and women who are, who are married to each other and, and as part of their instructions, they start telling the wives, you've got to make sure that you're submitting to your husbands. And then Paul in 1 Timothy says, actually, I don't think the women should be teaching the men. They should be learning quietly and in, in submission. And because of these verses, um, sometimes the church has grappled with, well, yeah, on one hand, it looks like everybody gets to be powerful. There's no more um, divisions amongst us. We're all equal on the same footing. It's all because of the anointing of the Spirit. And then, But how do we deal faithfully with the fact that there are these scriptures that also seem to say that there are certain restrictions that need to be placed on women amongst us? Well, I want to take you to one passage in particular, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11. Now, um, you'll see it's on the screen um, behind me. I don't know if you can read it. It might be a little bit too small for you, um, but you can turn to it. I've, I've put some of the text on the screen, but I've missed out um, some, of the, some of the verses there. So I'll read it all to you from 1 Corinthians 11, um, 1 to 12. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding on to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and that the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. And every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. And neither was man created for woman, but woman for man." It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Now, you know, I could have done myself a favor and not read that passage of scripture. Um, because it's like, it's not our kind of best advertising passage, is it? You don't find many railway stations with those verses on a poster. Have you ever seen the, the railway station posters for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son? And it's not the one we tend to put on our publicity, is it? Um, it's a difficult passage. Now, 
Whatever we say about this passage, Paul is very clearly writing into a very specific context and a specific time. And he's giving some very specific instructions about some cultural practices um, that the church over the years has grappled with. Is that something that we should still uh, apply or should we do it differently? But I'm not trying to get into that right now. But what I'm particularly interested in is the fact that in support of what he's arguing for, Paul refers to this idea of headship. He says, but God is the head of Christ, and Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. And in trying to be faithful to the scriptures, what it really comes down to, what we're really grappling with is this, is this idea of headship. We don't want to just throw away, if God has kind of created an order, if he's got this thing called headship going on, we don't want to be disobedient to that, we want to be obedient to that. And how do we hold on to that at the same time as this idea of God's poured out his spirit on everyone and everyone gets to be powerful and, and, and leadership is a gift of the spirit. Well, I think we can find a key, as we should with all our theology, in God himself. So if you turn to Revelation 3 and verse 21. Revelation 3 and verse 21. This is something... Um, it's, it's part of John's revelation, and it's, he, he um, hears Jesus saying this to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Paul says, man is the head of woman in the same way that God is the head of Christ. Christ says what headship looks like between God the Father and God the Son is God the Father says, sit on the same throne as me. And I felt um, God challenged me, and one of the key kind of moments for us in grappling with um, this whole subject was I remember just feeling the Holy Spirit kind of say to me, look around you, Richard, in the church. Does it really look like men and women are sitting on the same throne? Does it really look like you're sharing rule and authority together? Because if we go back right to the very beginning, God created us male and female, and he said, rule. Rule. Bring leadership. Bring authority to men and women together. Now, when man and woman fell, it says that the, it says that the woman's desire will be for her husband. And, and guys, I'm really sorry, but that doesn't mean that she's just going to fancy you all the time. It means um, that she's going to be kind of trying to grapple with you, and, and it's going to be a kind of um, a fractured relationship that her desire will be to overcome. Her desire will be, she'll be fighting with you. And it says, therefore, her husband will rule over her. And it's not saying, hey, here's a blessing. This is part of um, what God says will happen as a response to the fall. It's part of the curse. That actually there'll be a fractured relationship between man and woman. That there'll be a power play. And that's what we've seen throughout history. Yeah? So actually, um, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is saying that what headship is supposed to result in is that God the Father and God the Son rule on the same throne. And he says to his church, remember Christ is the head of man, and if we read that as Christ is the head of mankind, we could say the church there is in that position. Christ says to the church, you come and rule with me on the same throne as me. And so man and woman, I would suggest, are supposed to be saying, well, we're supposed to be ruling on the same throne together. 
And if we think about the example of Jesus, didn't he say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? He didn't say most authority has been given to me as long as I'm really careful to acknowledge that the Father has more than me. He said, all authority has been given to me. The Father didn't keep back a little bit of authority for himself so that everyone could be certain who was ultimately in charge. The Father gave all authority away. And so if we use Jesus and God the Father as our example, whatever it means, headship looks like empowerment. Headship looks like giving away. Headship looks like raising up, so much so that you're not raised to a slightly smaller throne, a slightly a throne at the side, but actually that God the Father says to God the Son, come and sit and rule with me from the same throne. So in the time that we've had, it's a whistle-stop tour, but I want to leave you with a little bit of an illustration. Imagine that... Judith's dad, Judith's my wife, by the way, she's sat here. She's going to speak to you in a moment. Imagine that Judith's dad, Barry, um, gave me um, 500 pound, and he said, this is for you and Judith, okay? Gives me 500 pound, and he says, this is for you and Judith. Now, I've got a choice at this moment. I could not tell Judith. I could not tell Judith, and I could go and spend the 500 quid on myself, and she could say, oh, you know, you seem to have a few new you know, pairs of trainers and new outfits there, Richard. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I've just been really blessed. Um, right? Well, I could do that. Or I could say, no, um, Barry gave me this 500 pound for both of us. So I will decide what we need. I'll decide what our priorities are. And I will go out and spend the 500 pounds wisely on things that will benefit both me and Judith. Yeah? Or I could say, oh, well, you know, um, you know, he's given us 500 pounds, so I suppose I'll give, I'll give Judith 250 pounds and I'll give me 250 pounds um, and, um, you know, she can do what she wants with her. It's getting better. Or I could put it in our joint bank account and I could say, we've got 500 pounds and then we could work out how to spend it together. The fact that Judith's dad gave it to me would not make it any more my money than hers. The fact that he gave it to me and said, this is for both of you. Hope you can see the point I'm making here. The fact that he gave it and said, it doesn't mean because he gave it to me, he meant me to have 300 and Judith to have 200. He gave it to me and he said, this is for both of you. Now you could say, well, you know, is it significant at all that he gave it to me? Yeah? So this is like when everyone was saying to Paul, is it significant that, that the gospel came first to the Jews and then it went to the Gentiles? And we expect Paul to say, um, don't be ridiculous, there's no significance whatsoever. And Paul turns around and stuns us. The great apostle of the Gentiles turns around and stuns us and says, yeah, it's great that you know, the Jews have got a special position because what a privilege and an honor. And so I could turn around and say, isn't that fantastic? Judith's dad trusts me. It was a privilege that he gave me the 500 pounds because he trusts me enough that he gives it to me, I'm going to give it to both of us. I would suggest that's what it's supposed to be like. I would suggest that's what headship is supposed to be like. God made Adam, and out of Adam he created Eve, 
I don't think personally that means that Eve is any less than Adam. I think it's like God gave Adam 500 pounds and said, that's for both of you. Adam then has a choice. And yes, it's an honor. It's a privilege that God trusted him enough with that choice. And wouldn't it be great if we as redeemed people of God, Holy Spirit-filled believers, stop doing what mankind has been doing since the fall and grappling and wrestling and trying to keep as much as we can for ourselves and actually became the people that we're supposed to be, which are an empowering people who are always looking to how we can serve and give away and lift everybody up. So just like in the gospel, everybody gets to be powerful. So, question for you to talk about. I know it's been fast, but why is it important for women to be empowered in church leadership? Why would it even matter? Why would we be even having this conversation? Something for you to talk about. I realize you might want to pick issue with anything that I've said um, so far, um, but that's a question we'd love you to try and get to if you can in the 10 minutes that you've got. Why is it important for women to be empowered in church leadership? Great, some great answers there. Um, I reckon if we went on longer, you might have said everything that I've got in my notes. So, <laughs> so some great stuff out there. Um, why is it important for women to be released into leadership? So I'm going to do a little bit of a, sort of go over a little bit what, with what Richard said, but from my perspective and, and, um, and the way I express things, because I express things differently to Richard. I'm a different kind of leader to Richard, different kind of preacher to Richard. And so when I think about, um, about answering this question, why is it important for women to be empowered in church leadership, my mind kind of sort of goes back to Genesis 1, where we read about the story of creation. And when we go back there, we see how God created humanity. And he instructed both men and women to rule. So God created this beautiful world, all the lights and stars and the moon and all the animals and creatures and birds and fish and, and all of that. And then after that narrative in the book of Genesis, we get to the bit in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 where God has finished, finished creating the world and we get to the place in the Bible where it says that God decides to create mankind in his image. And what that looks like is, um, is male and female. God created man in his image, and in his image it was male and female. And then he commissioned them to go and rule and be fruitful. And then the fall happened, and that's when everything went wrong, and then the world went into decay, and then this beautiful, harmonious relationship between the man and woman became one of competition and wrestling of authority. And I really liked how Richard described that with his analogy with the money where my dad gives him 500 quid. And I'd be like, Dad, what's that about? But <laughs> it's probably better that he gave it to him because I probably would spend it. But there we go. <laughs> That's probably why there's headship. Um, <laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> so I've just messed his illustration up. So anyway... Um, 
So, so then, so then, this caused all kinds of problems in in the world, and then throughout the ages, in, in relationships and families, and in the workplace, and and even in the church, there is this this way it was supposed to be this harmonious relationship between a man and a woman ruling together, being on the same throne together, became um, corrupted somehow. And so part of Jesus' resemptive story of when Jesus came, he showed us something different. The way he spoke to women, women, the way he treated women, the way he respected them in that culture at that time was just so countercultural. It was like something like the disciples probably probably would never have seen before and we and then we go to see in the gospels and in the in the letters how how then they start treating women and how women are raised into leadership and like Richard said the spirit is poured out on all people both men and women and not just in um um you know Jesus didn't didn't discriminate at all because he sees us is all one in him. The Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate on who he gives his spiritual gifts to. And we can see this in the Old Testament where there are instances of women in ministry um, um, in, in the New Testament, Old Testament and in the New Testament, where there are instances of women in leadership like Deborah in the Old Testament. And then there are women leading and in ministry and a woman apostle in the New Testament. And it seems that we have um, missed out over the centuries of receiving women in ministry. We have missed out on receiving giftings from women. And this kind of come out over here. If we don't receive women in leadership, then we're going to miss out on all the giftings and all the callings that, that have placed in them. And so the church then misses out. We feel that the church has missed out so much by, by not receiving women over time. Um, and it's not that all women are called to leadership either. Um, just like not all men are called to leadership, not all women are called to leadership. And sometimes when we look at men in leadership, it can look different to another man in leadership, how they outwork their role, and it would be the same of a woman. And so when we look at women in leadership, it wouldn't be surprising that sometimes that the way that they would lead would look different to perhaps a man or other women. I was listening to this podcast recently, um, and it was a woman counsellor, and she um, counsels top executives. And so she was counselling some women that were coming to her that that were that got into positions of success. They were doing really well in their organisations. They were in in leadership, and they came to her for counselling because they had got themselves into positions where the people that she was leading was starting to criticise her for for the way that she led because what they were wanting is for her to be more like a woman. And, um, and the reason she got into the position that she was in was because she led like a man. She said, this is the only way that, that leadership was recognised if, if, if I led like a man. And so now she was finding that the workforces, the are wanting, are hungry, are crying out for women who are leading to lead um, with that sympathetic nature that they have, to maybe to treat them with the gentleness and kindness that, that um, so often comes so naturally to women. 
And it's not to say that men can't behave like that as well. There are so many men that are like that as well. But I think sometimes women who feel like to be recognized as a leader, they, they throw that off to become, because they want to be taken seriously. When a woman has leadership calling upon her life, she can often bring something to the body of Christ that is different to that which a male leader can bring. And we need to value that. When God made man first, the man wasn't complete. Um, He didn't complete the image of God on his own. He was lacking something. He could not do fully what God had created him to do on his own. So God created a woman to stand beside him so that together they can bring glory to God and rule together and bring God's rule There is this amazing passage in 1 Corinthians 12 talking about about how the Holy Spirit gives them his gifts to anybody he chooses. And he decides what gifts to give to people. And it's different with different people. The Holy Spirit decides how he distributes gifts. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is on all people. And that is part of our gospel message. Richard said that, that it is part of our gospel message that all people are powerful. And so when the Holy Spirit pours out himself on all people, it's so that we can all be powerful. Now, if the Holy Spirit has given um, the gift of leadership to a woman, then to not receive that and and take that for the church and, and allow that to be um, in the church, then we miss out on a really important part of the, the body of Christ. You know, in um, 1 Corinthians 12, it also talks about how we are a body of many parts. We've all, we all have different giftings. We all have different functions. But yet, we're all still part of the same body. We're all part of the one body. And so if the Holy Spirit pours out his spirit and all people and we all have these different giftings and so God is wanting us to bring all that together. When he created man and woman, he created them differently so that when they come together, they, they bring an expression of God that completes the image of God. And so it's not surprising that when he, the Holy Spirit pours out his spirit on all people, he'll give different gifts to different people because he wants the body of Christ to come together to display something amazing of who God is. You know, there are all kinds of different leadership giftings and both men and women are needed to represent the fullness of God if we are going to bring leadership to the church disciple people help people to grow in their giftings then the church needs both men and women the church needs parents the church needs all the spiritual gifts that God is giving to different people, which makes the body of Christ, which means both men and women. The church needs fathers. The church needs mothers too. And not only do I want to see women empowered and fulfilling the calling on their lives, I also want men, I also want to see men doing the same, being fulfilled and, and, and doing the calling that God has got on their lives. 
And so often we can have this pendulum swing from one thing to another. And, you know, and I think it came out over here where, you know, we, we, if we're just looking for a, a specific gender to fill a specific role, then we're missing out because there's, there's somebody who of a different gender could bring something else that's, that we're not actually really realizing we need in this, in this instance. I want to encourage the men in my life and in my church to find their confidence in God, to be all that God intended them to be. And I want to encourage the women in my life and in the church the same as well. We need to give space to gifting. We need to give space to those who carry godly wisdom. We need to give space to all kinds of leaders as a child growing up in a church which had a heavy emphasis on men and their calling, I never thought leadership was an option. I never had a woman leader in my life that I would look up to and think, oh, that looks good and I would like to be a woman leader. It was just never an option. It never, I never even entertained the thought. In fact, I remember specifically thinking, I never ever want to marry a church leader. And I always said that. For some reason, I don't know why I thought that. But that was my aim in life, to never marry a church leader. And here I am today, not only married to a church leader, but one myself. And I am only here where I am today because of my husband, Richard, who has made space for me. So this is where his analogy of the 500 pounds is perfect because he has made space for me. He has been the one that's cheered me on and, and said to me, come on, you can do this. He's helped me and encouraged me to step into the things that God has got for me. And he's told me not to give up. And, and even when I failed, he's told me to stand up and keep on going. And he's pushed me in him and the Holy Spirit. Can't give him all the credit. Him and the Holy Spirit, you know pushed me out of my comfort zone many times so that I would grow. I sat with a couple recently and he was talking about how from a very young age um, that um, he was really encouraged in his gifting, his spiritual giftings and as he got older he was really encouraged in his leadership gifting. And then the wife said, she said to me that, um, that she only became in leadership because she was because of her husband, they both came into leadership together. And now she's on catch-up. She was never, ever encouraged the whole time she was in church to become a leader or to express her giftings. And now she's on catch-up. We do need to encourage one another. We do need to resist wrestling, with, wrestling for authority from one another. Men do need to leave space for women. And women need to not put men down, even if they think they can do it better. We need to give space to single women and single men for that matter. Nobody's gifting should ever be on hold because they are single. Our differences are what the church needs. So let's embrace that and let's encourage that. Okay, amen. Amen.